0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Come on in and have a seat. For all of those that are here and for those that are joining us by live stream. welcome. And welcome to the chapel at Warren Valley. And it's 2023. We are jumping into a brand new year and looking forward to uh, new changes. So uh, on your seat, for those that are here, um, there are annou- announcement sheets. I won't go through every one of those. Um, so I would encourage you to grab those. i don't also encourage you to go to the chapel website. It's the chapel nj.org. Um, on the chapel website, you will be able to get uh, some good information about uh, what's going on here at the church. Let me just highlight one in particular. Uh, we just ended our fall series. We we needed an extra week. Pastor Doug and I needed an extra week. I guess we could have probably taken two or three. Um, but uh, we just ended our fall series. Um, Pastor Doug was doing his series on the parables, and I was doing my series on conflict. And we're going to be starting two new um, our spring series, winter, spring, I guess, uh, series of classes next week, the 15th, I would encourage you, um, it's an only an hour before service, so I'd encourage you, if you're available, come out to Sunday school. It just gives you an opportunity to get into God's word in a more um, specific way, so I'd encourage you to do that. There are going to be two classes next week, one headed up by Pastor Doug, and actually a series of elders, and it's going to be called God's Plan for Parenting, uh, Parenting by the Book. And what we're going to do is we're going to learn about what God's Word says about parenting. Now, some of you have young children at home, some of you still have teenagers at home, and some of you have children that have gone out of the home. There's still great principles uh, that you can learn about, Uh, repairing relationships reconciling relationships but also encouraging them so the class will explore what god says about parenting you could be single you could be a married couple without children married couples with children grandparents all of you are invited. I would encourage you. 9:30 next Sunday morning. Um, a second class is the essential doctrines for believers. This is going to be a phenomenal class on taking. And I, who's doing that? Ed Kionis and um, Bill uh, Bill Dean. Um, those two classes. What they're going to be in that class? They're going to be taking systematic theology. It sounds High and floating uh, uh, in your mind, but the reality is this: it's learning what God's word says and how you can apply those systems in your life. So they're going to be doing that each class. You know, who is God? What is the Bible? What is salvation? What's the uh, future? Things all themes like that are going to be things that are going to be talked about in that essential doctrines class. So, uh, whether it's the parenting class or the essential doctrines class, I encourage to be doing that. Um, I encourage you, if you have not joined on to our prayer list um, or have not gotten our email list, go out to the um, counter outside the Welcome Center, sign up. You can get a weekly emails about what's going on here at the chapel. Let me just read this passage and then we'll open in prayer. From Romans uh, chapter 12, it says this in verse 11, uh, 33, oh, the depths of the riches, and the wisdom, and the knowledge of God. How deep is his, is his riches? How deep is his wisdom? How deep is the knowledge of God? So deep. I mean, Im- immeasurable. How unsearchable are his judgments? How uns- inscrutable are his ways? For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that God has been given a gift? Who's given him a gift that God has to repay them? Nobody. And then here it is. For from him and through him and to him all things are. It says from him means that he's the creator of all. Through him is that he's the sustainer of them all, and then to him is the glory, that all glory goes to him. So today as we worship, remind yourself that he's the creator, remind yourself that he's the sustainer, and remind yourself that he's the rightful end of all praise. So let's pray as we begin. Well, Father, we thank you and praise you. We praise you because you are a God who has been given nothing that you've needed. You need nothing. You've given us everything. We need everything from you. Our breath is given to, you, to us by you. Our salvation has been given to us by you. Lord, I thank you for this community of believers that we can come together. I praise you. I praise you and praise you. It's from you, Lord. You're the creator. Through you, you're the sustainer. And to you, the rightful end of all praise. So I pray that that would be the case today. I pray that we would reflect you. Lord, I pray for Carol Sutherland, Father, as... uh, Our dear friend has not been able to be with us lately. I pray that you would be wrapping your arms around her and touching her during these challenging times, Father. We so thank you for her life and her ministry. Lord, I pray that you would touch her. For Kim, Father, as she went through her procedure this week, I pray that you'd be giving healing and restoration, Father. For the many prayer requests that are out there, we continue to pray for Diana, Father. I pray that you would uh, comfort her and Gary, Father, and Marty, who struggles with cancer, Lord. I pray that you'd be wrapping your arms around them. Father, for Hannah and the babies, pray that you would continue to bless those little ones, Father, and and give wisdom to the doctors and strength for their bodies. And today, Father, as we come, help us to sing well for your glory, your son's glory. Help us to hear through Pastor Tim your word and help us to live out what you call us to do for your glory and honor alone. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: I count on one thing. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God that's never late is working all things out. Working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will. I count on one thing. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things. Yes, I will. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes. For all my days, for all my days, oh yes, I will. And I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names, that nothing can stand against. And I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. Nothing can stand against And I choose to praise To glorify, glorify The name of all names Nothing can stand against And I choose to praise To glorify, glorify The name of all names That nothing can stand against Yes, I will lift you high In the lowest valley Yes, I will bless your name Yes, we will Yes, I will sing for joy When my heart is heavy All my days Oh, yes, I Yes, I will And yes, I will lift you high In the lowest valley Yes, I will Bless your name Yes, I will Sing for joy When my heart is heavy All All my days Oh, yes, I will For all my days Oh, yes, I will For all my days Oh yes, I will Yes, we will, Lord, we'll praise you forever we glorify you in the valley And fill our hearts with joy thing I Was Buried. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that? Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing but not alive. And all my failures. And all my failures I tried to hide. It was my tomb. It was was my tomb. tomb. Then I met you. Until I met you. You called my name. You You called my name. my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. Yes, you saved us, Lord. Now your mercy has saved my soul. And now your freedom is all that I know. The old made new. The old made new. Jesus, when I met you, you called my name.
0: You called my name.
1: And I ran out of that grave, out of the dark into your glorious day. You called my name and I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness into your glorious need a rescue. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy. But chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken you were my healing. Now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a few are open because when you call my name and I ran out of that grave, grave, grave out of the darkness into your glorious day and you call my name and I ran out of that grave
0: out of the darkness, darkness way,
1: Yes, Lord, we came running out of that grave. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can say, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ. is dark but I'm not forsaken. The night is dark but I am not forsaken for by my side the Savior he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing for in my need is power displayed, to this I hold, my shepherd will defend me, through the deepest valley he will lead, oh the night has been won, and I shall overcome. Yes, only you, Lord. We labor on you, but we glorify you. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my part. And he was raised To overthrow the grave To this I hold My, my sin, sin has been defeated Jesus, now wherever is my plea And all the chains are released I can sing I am free and not I Through Christ in me. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus. For he has said, for he has said that he will bring me. He has promised. And day by day I know he will renew me Until I stand with joy before the throne of this I hold To this I hold My hope is only Jesus All the glory evermore to him When the rain is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. To this I hold, to this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, and all the glory. And not I, but,
0: but to through Christ, Christ.
1: How I long How I long To breathe the air Of heaven Where pain is gone And mercy Fills the streams To look upon The one who bled To save me And walk with him For all Eternity there will be a day when all will bow before him there will be a day
2: when death
1: will be no more standing face to face with he who died and rose again and holy holy Prayer, we prayed in desperation. The songs of faith we sang for doubt and fear. In the end, we'll see that it was worth it when He returns to wipe away our tears. there will be a day when all will bow before him there will be a day when death will be no more standing face to face with he who died and rose again And on that day, we join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith. With one voice, a thousand generations sing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And on that day we join, join the resurrection and stand beside the, the heroes of, of the faith. faith. With one voice, a, a thousand generations. generations sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. So let it be today, we shout the hymn of heaven, with angels and the saints, we raise a mighty roar, glory to our God, who gave us life beyond. the hymn of heaven with angels and the saints we raise a mighty Lord. glory to our god who gave us life before. Lord, we praise you this morning, we glorify you. <clears throat> we sing holy is the Lord. We sing that now and we know we will sing that forevermore. Glory to our God, who gave us life beyond the grave. God, death feels wrong. We feel that in our DNA, and our bones. We shouldn't die, it doesn't make any sense. I can feel that in like the very science of me, that I exist, I have a moral body, but I also have a soul that feels like it should be around forever. Yeah, that's because death is wrong. That was not your plan, but then sin entered the world. And sin's ultimate punishment is death and separation from you, God. But Lord, we thank you that you defeated death that the very thing that we feel is wrong is wrong. It was not your plan, but Lord, you enacted a plan of redemption, a plan of salvation, an incredible true story of God coming down to earth to save us, to redeem us. Jesus, you did die on the cross, you did rise again. You do own death. Nobody has come back to life but you. We thank you, Lord, that you sacrificed yourself for us, that you loved your creation so much, that you sent your son to die in our place. Lord, we anticipate and look forward to the concept of heaven, which really is mind-blowing. My earthly brain cannot handle it, cannot understand what that means. Eternity with you, with our God, our Savior forever. It's incredible. Lord, we do praise you with the saints who have gone before us. Those we know and those we don't know who are praising you now forevermore. God, help us to praise you now as we hear your word for Pastor Tim. May the years of study and the years of his life, Lord, be uh, seen today in what he says to us. His love for you and his passion for guiding and directing his flock that you've given him, Lord. Would that be evident today? Help us to be receptive and to listen and then change us. We thank you for this time of worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated.
2: are privileged to sing songs of worship and praise to the Lord this morning as we begin this new year. I'm going to ask uh, Tommy and Joy if they would come up here. This is uh, Tom and Cindy Mazzone's son and daughter-in-law. So uh, Tommy recently graduated from Seton Hall Law School and uh, at the end of this week is at the end of this week he's traveling down to uh, become part of Uh, the marine corps uh, through the avenue of uh, of uh, officer school so do you want to give us just a quick
0: idea of what that's like and what you're going to be doing all right and then we're going to pray for you. sure good morning everyone how you guys doing so essentially i'm going down to quantico virginia on friday um, to attend officer candidate school it's a 10-week marine corps indoctrination for officers so there will be a lot of physical fitness a lot of leadership grades academics um, and testing with the ultimate goal to become an officer in the Marine Corps and uh, serve my country.
2: So let's pray together for this family. Again, we wanted to have them come up so that you guys can be aware of their situation and be upholding them in prayer. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for the work that you have done in this young couple's life. Uh, Thank you for the uh, years of effort that mom and dad on both sides have poured into their formation. And Lord, we have great hope uh, in light of those facts, in light of the fact that they have trusted you and know you as Savior and Lord, uh, that you will direct their steps in this endeavor that is before them. Uh, We know that this is a very uh, challenging endeavor and that the the process that uh, Tommy's about to go through is incredibly challenging and that we know that a lot don't make it through that process, so we, we pray favor and strength over Tom and Joy uh, as he is away, that he would give his wife peace, and I trust that God in, in just a few months we will hear good things for your glory in his life. So thank you for this couple, for their willingness to serve, and we pray that you, God, above everything that we would desire for them, we pray that your name would be glorified and exalted through their lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right. God bless you guys.
0: Thank you. All right, Father.
2: Thank you. Amen. It's good to see young people that are following hard after the Lord. It's a, a great joy. So just continue to be praying for them. All right. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 9. As we begin a new year, uh, I know there are a lot of words or themes or topics that cause anxiety can have, and can have the effect of diluting our hope and our joy. Words like COVID, which has been uh, kind of running around a little bit more lately. Words like Ukraine or inflation, or the fact that 65% of people in America today are living paycheck to paycheck. We have the concern of medical diagnoses, concern for aging parents, relational concerns, stressors that drive anxiety and steal our joy. And here's the truth, folks, we all have them. I think sometimes we look around us and we think that we are the only ones. Uh, But the truth is that all of us go through such seasons that tend to kill joy and pull the purpose out of the life that God has given to us. In verse one of chapter nine, Solomon says this, so I've reflected on all of this. So this is a text when Solomon is kind of now stepping back. He's gone through eight chapters that we've worked through together. There are chapters that contain difficult topics, difficult themes. Uh, He's worked through... Uh, themes like hedonism, that is seeking pleasure and indulgence in personal pursuits. He's talked about materialism, trying to accumulate with the thought that if I have the most toys, I win. He's talked about, in this context, fatalism. The idea that the game is fixed, that it's uncertain and pointless, and that also has the effect of sucking the joy out of life. And so as as Solomon now moves into chapter 9, we find that his conclusion is that this is all frustrating, there's nothing here, but you find in this text an initiation of a break from the futility and the start of more serious God-centered reflection. Okay, so that's the kind of move. Out of all of these approaches that he's taken, finding all of them empty, he starts to turn and look more consistently and fervently towards God himself. A more serious reflection begins. And the idea of what he says at the beginning of verse, of verse one of chapter nine, so I reflected on all of this. He's now looking back at this kind of summary of his life in this bit of a biography and he's turning a corner he's moving from man-centered observations to more god-focused and god-centered observations and you're going to sense as you work through it that there are still hints of struggle but their lights are going on okay there is there is a hope that is rising in an understanding of the fact that god is in control so Verses 1 through 6 and 11 through 12 of this text contain observations that Solomon is making. Verses 7 through 10 are going to give us advice about how we can seize the day for the glory of God. Okay, So we're going we're to look a little bit at the frustrations and observations on both ends, but in the middle you're going to find a very strong and certain encouragement to seize the day for the glory of God. So let's begin by looking at some of the observations that are made in verses one and following. I want to do this by reading from verse one through six. Solomon says, so I've reflected on all of this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. all." share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those that are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people moreover are full of evil and there is madness in their hearts while they live and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward. Even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished never vanished never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun so it's obvious here that solomon is reflecting on the ultimate destiny that awaits all of us okay and and so as he begins in verse 1 He makes a really interesting observation he says i reflected on all of this and i concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in god's hands okay so so there is this very clear indication of uncertainty but there is also a very strong glimmer of hope and the glimmer of hope is this what they do the righteous those that love god and know god what they do is in god's hands and the idea of that is simply this that in the midst of all of solomon's confusion and perplexity there is a certainty that if you are devoted to god if you know him personally and you're walking with him at the end of the day everything you do is in his hands and it's a very interesting observation The idea of that is that it is under his oversight and control. So I can now, in light of that truth, work through life with all of its difficulties and all of its struggles, knowing confidently that my life is resting in God's hands. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? That all of life, for those that know him, is in God's hands. But but he also notices this, right? He says, but, but no one knows, the end of verse two or verse one, whether love or hate awaits them. Meaning the fact that my life is in God's hands does not mean that every day is going to be a bed of roses that every day is going to go perfectly, that I will be protected from all harm and all struggle and all evil. No, the, the bottom line is Psalm says, even though I know now that my life is in God's hands, I still don't know for sure that every day will be good or bad. What I rest in is that that day that I am going through is in God's hands. Okay, so we tend to think about the themes of God's sovereignty and, sovereignty and providence And we tend to think that that is a guarantee that all will go well. Okay, but one of the things you find as you work through scripture is that there is a theme in the context of sovereignty about hard providence. Okay, what hard providence is is this. It's I know that God is in control, that's providence. But sometimes the providence of God is gonna lead me through a difficult circumstance or a dark valley. And if you think through scripture, you'll reflect on themes like that. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, where's his hope? You are with me. My life is in your hands. I thought through the book of Job as I thought of this theme of hard providence, right? Job goes through incredibly difficult circumstances. His, His life is almost seemingly torn down by the providence of God. And at the end job is saying i want my day before god i want to talk to god i want an explanation from god and what does god do god comes to job and reveals himself to job in terms of his great power his great might right he shows job who he is the one who has job's life in his hand and what's Job's response when he stands finally before god his response is i put my hand over my mouth Okay, And what is Job saying? He's saying, what I have come to see is that in spite of the fact that I've had good times, and you see that early in his life, and now later in his life, he's had difficult times and seasons of struggle. The conviction that he has is, my life is in the hands of God. I have no questions. I trust him. Okay, so in, a, in, in an uncertain world, which is the world that Solomon has clearly described, we're hopeful why because my life is in god's hands and that's that's the truth that's starting to settle in for solomon in this setting and that truth that we can be hopeful in an uncertain world is true in two settings look at at what verse two says okay look at verse two it says all share a common destiny the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As with the good, so with the sinful, as it is with those who take oaths, so it is with those who are afraid to take oaths. So what what Solomon's going to say is, we have hope because God is in control in spite of the fact that death is certain for all. Okay, you've probably heard that, that, that uh, cliche, right? There are two things in life that are certain, death and taxes, right? I, I have to pay my taxes, and one day my life will end. That is something that is a certain fact for every person sitting in this room this morning. And so Solomon reflects on that. He says, we have hope in spite of the fact that all of us have a termination point in our lives, Hebrews 9, 27 says this, it is appointed unto man once to die and after that to face judgment. So this reflection that Solomon has is rooted in biblical truth, that we all have a termination point, right? But we can be hopeful in spite of the certainty of death. And it's interesting that he notes in verse 2 that we share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those that are religious offer sacrifices, and those that do not offer sacrifices, the irreligious, all have the same destiny. And the idea is this, my moral status, the purity and effort of my life, does not help me avoid death. I still must deal with that. It is certain, but it is hopeful. I was looking this this week at how, in in, in the context of America, we tend to want to avoid death itself. And and, and just think about this, okay? In verse 3, Solomon, as he reflects on this struggle, as it is with the good, so with the sinful, as it is with those who take oaths, so it is with those who are afraid to take them. He says, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The idea is this is the perplexity. This, this troubles me at the very depth of my heart and soul. And that our moral status, our effort, doesn't in any way fight off death. Solomon finds that troubling. In America, we spend on dietary supplements and vitamins $168 billion a year to avoid that which is certain, okay? My wife was in, in, in care for my health and, and wanting me to live longer, okay, which may seem a strange perplexity. Uh, She was buying vitamins online yesterday, okay? So we contributed to that number. Interesting, we spent 104 billion on cars, but 168 billion on lengthening our lives. On ultimately, what are we doing? We're trying to avoid the ultimate end that Solomon says is common and unavoidable. And these seeming inequities... So as it is with the good, so with the bad, those that offer sacrifices and those that don't. Those, those are the things that are troubling Solomon. How, how can it be that the good and the bad have the same destiny? And, 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 and we understand that Solomon, as an Old Testament believer, does not have the degree of clarity that we have in Christ as New Testament Christians. He doesn't know yet about the resurrection and all of its fullness. So these truths are a little darker, a little more murky for him. And so they're more deeply troubling as he boldly confronts these raw realities of life. The certainty of death. But Solomon says, all of this is in God's hands. So James four says this, if the Lord wills, if he desires it, we will live and do this or that. If God has purposes for my life, he will extend my life. He will be sure that all of those things are done for his glory. So in an uncertain world, we're hopeful in spite of the certainty of death. We're also hopeful in spite of our common condition. I want you to look at the second half Verse 3, Solomon says the same destiny overtakes them all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterwards, they join the dead. Now, watch how he says this, okay? Watch how how he, the hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts, And what is solomon talking about solomon is talking about our common condition so we have a common destiny death right that's coming to all of us but as we live there is something that contaminates the human existence the human individual the human soul right and that's the thing that solomon is profoundly aware of we inherit by birth the nature of our parents psalm 51 as david writes he says i was conceived in sin and in sin i was born meaning i come out of the womb not innocent but i have a distinct bent towards rebellion against god every parent that has raised a child right and and you hit that day where you sense and you you feel their their desire to take control of their own lives and that comes very early right that that evil in the heart is manifest and the truth is this all of us have that it is our Common condition, and Solomon understands how that is deeply affecting our lives. Romans 3 23 says that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53 says that we are like sheep that have gone astray, each one turns to his own way. That's our natural tendency, and it's common. It's not what's true about the person in front of you, it's true about the person in front of you, and it's true about you. It is our common condition and Solomon not only says that the people's hearts are full of evil he says and there is madness in their hearts while they live and afterward they join the dead so the common destiny is in place but he, he, he uses a fascinating word here he says their hearts are full of evil and our hearts are full of madness and Solomon is not trying to say you're like that he's saying I'm like that We have a common destiny and we have a common condition and that is that our lives are broken and that brokenness brings about trouble in our lives. Kaiser translates this idea of a heart full of madness by this phrase. He says our hearts contain every conceivable madness. There is a a twisting and a brokenness in our lives. I wonder if you think about the world that we live in today, right? There is is a lot that is troubling, right? There is, if if I can say it this way, there is a bit of a moral insanity, a moral confusion that is afflicting the culture that we live in, And, and, and Solomon is aware of that. He wouldn't be surprised by what's happening around us. We see moral confusion, we see sexual distortion, We see crazy rationalization of things that are clearly wrong and sinful. And yet there is this tendency on the part of sinful humanity to want to justify all kinds of things. right? And there there is this kind of what we would call madness. Even at times, professing Christians will say, I know it's wrong, but I'm not changing. I'm going for it. Okay, and that's that's a sadness that Solomon is reckoning with, and it's a sadness that we see around us. If you remember what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes seven verse twenty, he said, "There is no one upon the earth who does what is right and never sins." That is to say that we all have a common condition. And that common condition leads to brokenness and frustration in our world. What, what, how do we face that? How do we respond to it? Here's what we need to do. We need to remember that despite those things, God is sovereign in our lives. Our lives are in fact in his hands, under his care, and we need to kind of remind ourselves of that truth. In verse four, Solomon goes on to say this. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Okay, now this becomes a very interesting thought, right? We have a common destiny, that is death. We have a common condition that leads to brokenness and moral insanity, right? And we, So we live in a world where trouble is abundant in many ways. And Solomon says, and yet, anyone who is among the living has hope. And then he gives this odd kind of statement. He says, even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. Okay, now, in the ancient world, for you that have pets and that love your dogs that are cute and you take them and get them groomed and washed and all those things, okay? Psalm is not talking about what we understand as modern day pets like dogs okay in the ancient world dogs were scavengers they were dirty and they were dangerous they tended to travel in groups and wreak havoc okay so here's what Solomon's saying even a live dog and he's talking at the lower level not the way we understand it is better than a regal lion that's dead Okay, and the question would be, why? Because that dog has the capacity to make decisions, to do things, to try to find joy or to do whatever it's going to do. It still has opportunity. Okay, and so watch the way Solomon moves this along. He says, anyone who is among the living has hope, verse 5, for the living know that they will die. That is, they experience consciousness, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. So here's what he's saying. If you're still alive, despite the evil that resides in your heart, there is hope for you. Okay, meaning if I'm alive, I have opportunities to make adjustments, to do the right thing, to draw nigh to God. And that's why Solomon is saying to be alive is better than experiencing the common destiny. So all of us presumably that are here, all right, are in that state, right? We're alive. We made a decision to come to church this morning. We're able to listen to the word of God and to have a response to it. And Solomon is what he's saying is that despite the certainty of death and despite the fact that evil resides in our heart, God is still calling and as long as God is calling, there is opportunity to change, to make choices to do the right thing. And so this is one of those uh, glimmers of hope that emerges in this text. Hebrews 3 verse 15 says this, if today you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Meaning if you're alive and you're able to take in God's word today, don't let it fall on a dead heart, on deaf ears. Let it fall on a heart that is open and sensitive to what God is saying. And and look, when this text says that there is madness in our hearts, okay, it's not me pointing out at you saying that's true of you. It's us looking at ourselves, and saying this is a common condition that we all share. But here's the truth. If you're alive today, you have an opportunity by God's grace to make appropriate adjustments, right? Think through the story of the prodigal son. Okay, the prodigal son, Luke 15, he, is, he has lost everything. He's gone into a totally depraved kind of path of life. He's thrown off all restraint. And yet when he hits the very bottom, not dead, but the very bottom morally, what does the text say? The text says that because he's alive and capable of sensing the wrongness of his life, he comes to his senses, right? He hits a turning point. And he, 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 he comes to himself, the text says, and he begins to make good decisions that move his life in a positive direction and it becomes really a picture of my relationship as a sinner with a holy God. If you're alive, the opportunity for you to see your sin and to move in the direction of trusting in Jesus Christ is still present. So in spite of the fact that life is hard and that it's full of complexity and perplexity, Being alive is still opportunity, okay? So even though my life may be hard and there may be frustrations and brokenness, if I am alive, I have a chance to make good decisions. I have a chance to respond to the Spirit of God as he provokes and prompts my heart towards righteousness because I haven't yet experienced the certainty of death. I'm aware of the the common brokenness that we all have But if I'm alive, God is still giving me a chance to move in his direction, to hear his voice, and to experience change. So as we transition to the portion of advice in this text, the the, the way we would frame it is this. Yes, death is certain, sin is present, and they steal joy. But if you are alive, God has a path for you to live. And this is what comes out as we look at verses seven and following. Okay, I want you to read through this with me and then I'll unpack it very quickly. So Solomon says, and you could kind of put the word so in front of this. So you move out of these perplexities, right? Uh, The commonness of evil, the certainty of death. You move out of those things into a different way of living, all right? And there's a bit of of a shift here in Solomon's thinking and in his teaching. He says, go and eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil enjoy life with the wife you love all the days of your meaningless life that god has given you under the sun all of your meaningless days and so you can see in the middle of the advice to seek joy solomon still's got this struggle it seems meaningless but he's moving in a positive direction whatever your hand finds to do verse 10 do it with all your might for in the realm of the dead where you, is, where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. You go back to verses uh, five and six, there's no emotion, there's no opportunity. So if you're alive, Solomon has four simple pieces of advice. And the first one in verse seven is this, go and enjoy to the fullest every day that God gives you. And here Solomon is not giving advice, Solomon is giving an exhortation, it's an urging, it's a plea, it's a command, okay? To not allow death and evil to steal joy from your life, to cause anxiety that freezes you and locks you up. Instead, he is encouraging you to go and seize the day that God has given you. Go and enjoy to the fullest every day that God gives. And I love how he says this. He says, for God has approved, meaning God has given certain blessings, poured them into your life, so that your life can be full of joy and happiness and purpose. He has provided these gifts, and I want you to notice that the directives here are elaborate, there's four of them. Go, eat, drink, and enjoy. Enjoyment in this context is strongly encouraged And I think the thing we need to understand as Christians is this seeking of joy, this pursuit of pleasure must always be done for the glory of God. Okay, why? Because these are gifts that God in his grace and mercy has given to us. Enjoyment is encouraged and it is all under the context of worship. First Corinthians 10 verse 31 says this whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And that is that we are to pursue these things in a way that honors God, which starts to lead to certain understandings, okay? Solomon is not giving a green light for indulgence, meaning the abuse of the gifts of God, whether it be food or drink. The text assumes moderation and forbids abuse. That would be very clear from the other writings of Solomon in relationship to food and the use of wine. He gives constant cautions in their use. Same thing is true of food, that we would overdo those things. So there are cautions that are given, but there is also an encouragement to enjoy the gifts that God has given you. Right? He has approved. Do it with a joyful heart. Its aim is to bring joy. That's very interesting as you look through the Bible in terms of the storyline or the plot line of the Bible. In Genesis, you find God creating and giving gifts to Adam and Eve, right? Genesis 1.29 says that in the garden, God created food and variety for enjoyment. And so in Genesis 1.29, he says, behold, I have given you, right? <clears throat> and the picture there is that God has put Adam and Eve in a place where they can live life to the fullest, where they can enjoy the gift that God has given them. But what we learn as we read through the book of Genesis is that that paradise that was given by God is broken by what? It's broken by evil and madness, right? Because it's kind of crazy, isn't it? If God puts you in a garden, he gives you thousands of gifts, right? Food, he gives you fruit, which for me is not as much of a joy, okay? But he gives all kinds of things for your enjoyment. And he says, there's one thing that you can't touch. And you would think if you were Adam and Eve that, and and you're probably thinking to yourself, yeah, if I was in their situation, I wouldn't have made the bad choice. He gives them an abundance and it's, it's interesting. Because the idea as you read through Genesis is that those things are there, meaning the variety of food is there, not simply to fill your stomach, but to give you joy. That you're to eat your food with joy and gladness of heart, right? That that it's not simply I eat to be full, it's that I eat for the purpose of enjoyment before the God who created this great variety for all of us. And so Solomon's first encouragement is that this enjoy the gifts that God gave in paradise in Genesis, but we realize those things are lost. But we also know that those things are restored as God brings Israel or Israel into the land of Palestine, right? He takes them out of the desert into a place that He says is flowing with milk and honey. He calls it a well-watered land, And the idea of that is that it is a land that has hope and prosperity. And the idea is that as Israel moves away from the brokenness of the book of Genesis, they now begin to move into a land that flows with milk and honey. Why would God say to them that the promised land flows with milk and honey? You know why he said that? He was giving them hope. That his desire was to, in a very beautiful and full way, satisfy their needs. But we know that as we study the nation of Israel, that we see that that also is something that is lost, right? There's a brokenness because they, they allow evil that dwells in their hearts to overcome the purposes of God. And that paradise that God restored is lost. It's fascinating that when you move into the New Testament, you see Jesus giving a feast with wine and bread. And that is why we give thanks for those things, right? We give thanks for the meals and the provision of God that he gives to us. And I think it's also fascinating to realize that when I move into the book of Revelation, the ultimate celebration of God's provision is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Isn't that cool? So you move from paradise lost, ultimately to heaven restoring all of those beautiful gifts that God has given, right? And so that's why Solomon can say, in, 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 in a world that is broken and struggling, go and enjoy every day that God gives you to its fullest. And then verse eight, it's a fascinating statement. He says, always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Now, that, that, that picture is probably a bit odd to us, right? Because the question is, what is meant by this idea of being clothed in white and anointing your head with oil? Well, in the Old Testament time period, the picture would very clearly be, this would be an invitation to a celebration, to a festival, right? Where where you're gonna clothe yourself in white, the purpose is celebration. Heads anointed with oil is the idea of camaraderie, of fellowship, and of celebration. So what is Solomon encouraging his, the people to do? What is he encouraging us to do? He's in calling, us, calling us to an intentional and elaborate celebration of life that we should be seizing the day every day as if it is a joyful celebration. We're not dead yet. God has allowed us to live and to see this day. And hopefully as we come into the new year, we can come with that kind of heart. Realizing that we are justified, that we are accepted in Christ, that we are forgiven, and in the beloved, invited into fellowship with him. Verse 9, he says this, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Okay, and I want you to stop and think about this. What, What relationship is Solomon now encouraging attention towards? Okay, And in this text, what he is clearly doing is encouraging that we would fix our attention, our focus in terms of humanity and relationships upon the most important relationship that humans experience. If you are married, God's command in this text is to enjoy your wife. It is to remember what attracted you to her, what caused you to love her, and it is to encourage you to treasure her. Men, I want you to think back with me. When you got married, you made promises. Promises about that person that God had brought into your life that brought you joy. You made promises that you would have and hold, that you would love and cherish, and you made those promises unconditionally. And what Solomon is saying is that part of the enjoyment of life is protecting this very foundational or central relationship in humanity. Keep your promises. Protect her emotionally and physically. Don't delay reconciliation. Treasure and protect the building block of society meant to make life enjoyable and full. Protect its most intimate expression between a man and a woman and its purpose to produce stability and permanence in your life. Its diminishing and ultimate destruction in our culture cannot be without consequence. Whether that destruction comes by unfaithfulness, by divorce, by cohabitation, by promiscuity, by same-sex relationships, by pornography, by rampant sensuality, all of those things have the effect of destroying or attacking the foundational building block of society. And God is calling us men. And in this text, I think it's fascinating that God lays the, the primary responsibility on our shoulders To protect life by protecting that which is central to it in terms of relationships. Men, this is your lot. It is our lot. Be careful of the things that weaken the gift of God and its purpose to provide a context for the flourishing of the next generation. We live in a world, we live in a culture where marriage has fallen on hard times, where it is seen as something that is temporary rather than permanent. And when that happens, we in a a very strong way are diluting one of the relationships that God has called us to enjoy and relish in and find purpose in for his glory. But it is with a purpose and that is for the stability of the culture in which we live. And the, the last thing that he says is in verse 10. He says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, and that goes back to right, that common destiny, that certain destiny, where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge or wisdom. So what's the, what's the call of this text? The call of this text is to be all in, to make the most of the opportunities that you have because they are brief, right? So I have opportunities, death will be the end of those opportunities, so what should I do in the meantime? And here's what Solomon would say, yes, these things are struggles, the fact of death, the fact of evil, they cause consternation in my heart, Solomon would say, it seems futile and empty, it seems fatalistic, but God has called us to seize the day, to make the most of the opportunity, to be present every day in our relationships and to enjoy life for the glory of God. Do it in your eating, do it in your celebration, do it in the context of your marriage, do it every day. Ephesians 5, 16 and 17 says this, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Right? And so this text encourages us to seize the day that God has given to us, to seize the opportunities that are in front of us. And then Solomon ends this text in verse 11. He says this He says, I have seen something else under the sun. And this is his final observation as he draws this to a close. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come, and that's, what is he doing? He's bringing back in the theme of death, right? So the hour is talking about that final moment of our lives. As fish are caught in a cruel net, Or birds are taken in a snare. As people are trapped by evil times, they fall that fall unexpectedly upon them. So Solomon begins in verse 11 by saying, I have seen something else. Or some translations say, again, I saw. So he he begins with observations about life. He's ending with observations about life. In the middle, he gives advice on how to seize the day and make the most out of the opportunity that you have before God. What are his observations in verses 11 and 12? Number one, life is unpredictable. You see the way he says this? He says, the race is not to the swift and the battle not to the strong. Meaning, you could have the fastest runner in the world in a race in the Olympics, but if they trip, all of their power, all of their training, everything becomes meaningless and they don't win the race. And Solomon says, oh, I find that frustrating, (laughs) okay? You get everything lined up the way it should be and something happens, right? Uh, You got your favorite football team like I do and your quarterback gets injured and the strongest person isn't gonna win because they've got a struggle in their life. They've got a difficulty. They've got a brokenness, an injury, right? And, 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 And there's part of us that reacts to that. That's not fair. It shouldn't be that way. But Solomon is saying to us, it is that way. That is the reality of life. Where's our consolation? Where's our hope? It's in God's hand. And if my life is in God's hand, as verses 1 through 6 say, then the advice of 7 through 10 becomes the way that I seize the day that I have in spite of the perplexities that surround it. Okay, so that's the way this text kind of fits together. In a world of trouble and uncertainty, that's 1 through 6, 11 and 12, trust the God who is over it all and enjoy your life for his glory. Folks, here's what happens. We get focused on the struggle. We get focused on the certainty of death. We get focused on the unfairness of life. We get focused on the perplexity of life. We, we consume ourselves s- with things that either we can't understand or we can't control. And I'm gonna tell you what that will always do. That will always put you into a, pra- a place of depression, of anxiety, of apprehension. It will steal the joy from your life. I can con- only control so much of my life. Here's my assumption from this text. The observations are there. And what is Solomon doing? He wants us to see how it affected his psyche, his thinking, his life. But he gives us advice as to how to move beyond that and to find joy in the life that God has given us. So I can think a lot about death. It changes nothing. Nothing. I can think a lot about the perplexities or inequities of life, those apparent things under the sun, apart from God. I can focus on that stuff. It will only tear me down and steal my joy. What I need to do is take the advice of seven through 10. Seize the day. Every time you sit down and eat and drink, do it to the glory of God in a way that honors him. Do it with joy and for the purpose of joy in God because your life's in his hands. Celebrate the days that God gives you. Enjoy the context of your most important relationship in life, and whenever you wake up in the morning, say, God, this is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The beginning of a new year is a clean slate. It's a fresh opportunity and reminder that life goes quickly. And I wanna encourage you this morning as you move into this New year, we're already one week into it already, to enjoy life to the fullest for the glory of God. Don't allow meaningless pursuits, grudges, petty arguments, frustrations, anger, or worries to waste your time. Life is too short, folks. It's too short. And often we will fritter away years being, being consumed by things that either we can't understand Or that we can't control. And I want to encourage you this morning to seize the day. Enjoy the life that God has given you this year to the fullest. And in response to the fact of death. Because it's there. It's something that is coming to every person sitting in this room. Should the Lord tarry jesus in the new testament added clarity to the murky waters of the old testament he sheds light on this struggle because solomon is addressing this because it is a real perpetual uh, experience or reality that often haunts us and steals our joy and so in the new testament jesus speaks to death by saying this he says i am the resurrection and the life he who lives and believes in me will never die. That is, death is in Christ is redefined. That common destiny, that common fate is changed if you've come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's for that reason that the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians can say to depart and to be with Christ is far better. Isn't that an interesting shift in teaching, Right? Solomon's lamenting death. He's lamenting the fact that it's coming to all of us. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And Paul will later say, so then to depart and to be with Christ is far better because to live is Christ and to die is gain. One writer said it this way. He said, if to live is Christ and to die is gain, our death day is not our worst day. It's not the day that we spend billions of dollars trying to avoid. It is the day that we look forward to and begin to celebrate, right? Is it perplexing? Yes. Are there inequities related to it? Yes. Do the good good seem to die young? Yes, right? That's all true. That's why that, that kind of a theme can be popularized in movies and in song, right? Because there is a tragedy apparently under the sun, to all of that. But when we move into the realm of, 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 of the cross and an understanding of what God has done for us, the Apostle Paul can say, to depart and be with Christ is far better. To live as Christ, then to die is gain. So that our death day becomes our best day. The bedrock of Christian hope on the day that you come to realize that your heart is full of evil, is this. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So maybe you're sitting here this morning and as you listen to Solomon's reflection on the nature of humanity, that hearts are full of evil, and there is a chaotic madness. Maybe maybe you think about that and you think to yourself, that's me. Is there hope? And here's what we want you to know this morning. There's hope because of Christ. Right, there's hope because Jesus Christ came and stood on the cross and took the penalty of your sin, of your madness, of my madness, of my sin. It's our common condition. And that common condition finds remedy in the cross work of Jesus Christ. And what that does is it destroys despair in my life over my sin. It destroys guilt and shame. And it makes me a child of God, forgiven and full of hope. So my prayer would be that you you could look at this text and you could say, yes, full of evil, full of madness. Yes, that's me. But by the grace of God in Christ... My life can be different because the Son of God came, took my place on the cross, paid the price that I should pay, and offers to me forgiveness and hope and a joyful life. And I just make this last observation. Solomon talks about these things being unexpected and perplexing, and I, all of us have to step back and say, Solomon, at some level, I get what you're saying. I've seen the inequities. I've experienced them. I have close friends that have gone through them. But at the end of the day, I realize that my life is in his hands, as verse one says. And folks, the the, the driving consolation and comfort of this text is that everything Solomon's saying is true. It's true. Those frustrations are present. Those perplexities are present. But so is God. And our... Hope as believers is not in the fact that life is going good today because what do I know? I know that tomorrow it might not be going so good. Time and chance happen to all. We all go through circumstances that suddenly go from good to bad to worse. Where's our hope? Our hope is in the fact that even in those circumstances, my life is in his hands. And I find my hope and I find my comfort, I find my encouragement by resting in that because as Christians, we are not lucky, we're not fortunate, we're blessed. Okay, and that's the thing we need to remember. We think through all those things. At the end of the day, where's my hope? It's not in the fact that I'm lucky or I had a good day, I'm fortunate, no. It's that God has blessed and God has worked and God is at work in my life and can overcome my greatest fear, death, my greatest problem, my sin, and can change my destiny and give me hope so that that death is no longer loss, but it is gain. Would you pray with me this morning? So, Father, as we conclude our study of this text, we do it mindful of the struggles that are part of life in a fallen world. And Lord, the truth is this, none of us are immune to them. We do it understanding that in a world of trouble and uncertainty, we can trust you because you are over all, you're in all, you're working through all, and you want us to enjoy life for your glory. So Lord, I don't know what the burdens are that individuals sitting here this morning may have, but I know that most of us have them. We have them. And give us the capacity this morning to release them into your capable, sovereign hand and begin to enjoy life for your glory. So Father, for your glory and for the happiness of your people which you desire, Help us to live this truth, I pray. In the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.
1: How I long to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone. And mercy fills the streets To look upon the one who bled to save me And walk with him for all eternity There will be a day when all will bow before him There will be a day when death will be no more. Standing face to face with he who died and rose again. Holy, holy is the Lord. And every prayer we pray in desperation. The songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear. In the end, we'll see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away our tears. There will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day When death will be no more Standing face to face With he who died and rose again Holy, holy is the Lord And on that day We join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith. With one voice, a thousand generations sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And on that day, we join the resurrection. And stand beside the heroes of the faith with one voice, a thousand generations sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was there for. Today we shout the hymn of heaven, with angels and the saints, we raise a mighty roar, glory to our God, who gave us life beyond. Come My- on. Yes, Lord, we praise you and glorify you. We thank you, Lord, that there's an answer to the problems of this world. we can trust you. We thank you for your word, God, which is so beautifully given to us this morning. We thank you for the acknowledgement of years and years and years ago from, you know, Solomon from the Old Testament, heroes of the faith from the Old Testament, who are no different from us, who said, it's not really fair. How's this possible? Death feels wrong, but death is also the great equalizer. And that was true then. The fears that they had then are the same fears we have now. But as Christians, death is not the end. You often say in the Bible, Lord, it says that we fall asleep in Christ. Yes, my mortal body dies, my soul lives forever because of what Jesus has done for me. That yes, I face judgment after I die, I face judgment, but then one steps in and says, "Uh, you can please erase all that because of what I've done for this guy. That my lawyer essentially shows up and takes the blame not only does he argue for me but he takes the blame we thank you jesus that you are that great advocate for us lord help us not to be afraid this week because ultimately we are secure with you yes we want to be alive of course we do we feel that inside of us lord but that's because we want eternity lord the world is hurting and in pain it's been this way since the fall of Adam and Eve, but you are coming back one day to redeem it. We thank you that we can spend Sundays here together praising and worshiping you, hearing your word, God. May we go from this place encouraged, uplifted, not just by the word, but by each other. May we come back again next week, joyful, ready to respond to you in praise again. We thank you for this time we can be together. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You have a great week.